Good morning. Life Church. I love this place. I love it so much. Every time I come home, I tell my wife all about it. And now I got to bring her here. So don't embarrass me. You know what I mean? Like, let her see how great. Kim, would you just stand real quick and just wave? This is my wife, Kim. Tuesday will mark 31 years of marriage that she's put up with me. And so we're excited to... Thanks. We're excited for the next 31. But Pastor Bob, thanks so much for having us. Thank you for your hospitality. We, I, well, this is her first time. I absolutely love coming here. And it's not that I don't like coming in the summer. I love seasons. I actually, I like hot weather and I like a real winter. You know, Washington, you kind of get, in December, you get cold rain. In the summer, you get warm rain. And so here we're able to just really have the real deal. So this is good. Now, I was told by the cameraman earlier, if I stand too close to that camera, it'll make me look bigger. And I asked, how would it, how would it do for my biceps? Because, it, you know, for those viewing at home, it would, might be nice, you know, to show some big biceps. And he says, yeah, it would do that. So if, if we can zoom in on that, that would be great. Maybe when I use this arm... Um, when I'm talking, but then, so I'm thinking through this and I know, I know I shouldn't be thinking of anything else but Jesus during worship. I realize that, but I look up here at Chad on the keyboard and I look at his arms and just for like half a song, where is Chad? Is he in here right now? Where's he at? Oh, he skips and goes and gets coffee while I preach. That's nice. Anyhow. Oh, are you? Oh, good. Good. Hey, I was admiring your biceps up here, your arms. And I just want... During worship, for about a half a song, I said to myself, I wonder what it's like for your arms to touch the material of your t-shirt, you know, because I've never had that happen. It must be amazing. It, mine's like a wooden spoon and a big pitcher, you know, but anyhow, that's good. You can go back and get your coffee, Chad. Thanks for joining us for a moment. Usually when Kim's with me, uh, at the end of service, she then just goes around and apologizes to everybody for me. So beware of that. I feel God has a specific word for Life Church today and for me in this. And the moment Pastor Bob invited me, I began to pray. And this was the word that God just laid heavy on my heart and it hasn't changed a bit over the months. So I want to just say a word of prayer and then we will, we will jump into this word. Okay. Father, we thank you for this day. You made it. You made it for us and you made us for this day. And so Father, I pray today your word would be powerful and effective in our hearts. That God, that we would walk out of here knowing we're on the winning side and that we're more than conquerors in Christ. And that you have so much more for us than we could ever imagine. So Lord, I commit every word to you. I pray, God, that you just scoop me aside and you just shine today. And Lord, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I have a question for you. By a show of hands, uh, let me preface it with this. Everyone in my family, me, my wife, our son, and our daughter, all of us get we don't do great on tests all the time. Like in, in school, 
we could study, 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 and then all of a sudden if there is a test, ah, we didn't do good. So the regular homework was always a help if, if I did it, and it would always help with the grade. There's those pop quizzes that always, you know, you get into class and they, they give this pop quiz and all of a sudden there's this fear that rises up and it, we're just, we were, none of us were very good at tests. By a show of hands, I just want to know, is there anyone in this room that relates to that? Like you don't like tests. Okay. All right. Not, you know what? A lot of you love tests. That's, that's great. When I was growing up in the seventies, in the early eighties in school, I did not do good on tests, but our tests, anyone here remember the dittos? Like they would take, instead of like a Xerox copy machine, they would have a printing press that would print these, print the test up on a paper and it was fresh ink. And then they would hand out these tests and this is how every test for me started. And I discovered the reason why I wasn't good at tests is I was high because <laughs> the ink was so strong and I would just sniff it the whole time. But that was the 70s, early 80s. That's not necessarily the case now, but there were tests. And I discovered there's a lot of tests. There's, there's written tests, there's oral tests, there's driving tests, there's te- you go to the doctor, you get your knee hit there, there's that test, there's... Lots of tests. Life is full of different types of tests. I had a test when I was 11 years old. I was attending a camp out in Washington, where we live, the state of Washington. And the camp sat right on the Puget Sound. And the Puget Sound is a, is a big body of water, and, and it's salt water. And, and uh, this camp had these boats, these little rowboats, and you could you could... As a camper there, you could take a boat out and you could row it around the Puget Sound there, uh, right outside of the camp there. They wouldn't allow you to row by yourself or without a life jacket unless you could pass the swim test. Now, I was a good swimmer. I feel like still to this day, I'm a good swimmer. I grew up on a lake and, and everyone in my school lived on the lake and it was mandatory that we took swimming lessons in our school twice a year. And so, I mean, I was, swimming was not a problem to me. What was a problem to me is the Puget Sound. Because one, I don't like cold water. I don't like to be cold. When, when our kids were little and we would travel all day and stop at a motel, she got to sit on the sidelines and read a magazine. And I, as the father, had to go into the cold pool. And that was not very fun for me at times because I don't like cold water. Puget Sound's very cold. The second reason it was a problem is, and let me just say this, I want to preface it with this. I'm not afraid of anything. I just don't like the idea of really large animals with sharp teeth underwater that could kill me. That, I mean, it's, I'm not afraid. Was not afraid, I just didn't like the idea. And the day before this test, I had been in a boat with someone and something very large went right under our boat. And I saw, I mean, it went, it went, and it was larger than our boat. 
And we found out later that there was a pot of orcas in the area. I don't know if it was an orca or just, I don't know what it was, but I remember my heart being like, man, I'm glad I'm in this boat. Well, the swim test was this. It was a floating dock out quite a ways in the water, and they would row the kids out to the floating dock, leave you there, row back, and then you had to swim back. And if you could do it and survive then they let you take a boat out by yourself. You know, I never did think, what do they do if they don't survive? You know, well, no boat for you. So I didn't want to do it, but I wanted to be able to go out in the boat. That was one of the funnest parts about this camp. And, you know, then you have to peer pressure your friends and everybody, like, you got to go, you got to. So about five of us load up on this boat and they take us out there and they drop us off and they row the boat back. Now it's, there's, you got to go, you know. First guy goes, second guy goes. It's just down to me and one other guy. And I'm just standing there like, oh, come on, come on, come on. And this guy went ahead and went first, and he dove in the water. And so they're all like, Brett, come on, come on. So I went, okay, okay, okay. And I dive off of this this floating dock, and as I'm in the air, right when my hands begin to hit, I hear the boy that went in front of me scream, I've been bit! And now I'm already in the water and I'm like right near him and all I can hear is him screaming, I'm bleeding, I've been bit! You have never seen someone swim so fast. Michael Phelps had nothing on me, man. If I had a rope hooked to me, they could have skied behind me, all right? I got to the shore. Here's the crazy thing. I got to shore, I got, and I kept running. Like, I was, I was not going to be anywhere near this water. I passed the test, of course, and I got to go out in the boat. You know, there are so many tests in life that are just, they're not all the same. They don't all have the same level or degree, but especially for believers, there are a lot of tests. And and I, I want to address this today because I really strongly believe that there are people here this morning that are being tested right now. Like, like you came into church today just needing a miracle because you feel like this test is overbearing. Like, you can't take it anymore. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to pass this test. See, the devil likes to tempt us and likes to put us through trials to destroy us. But God can use those same trials and just refer to them as tests because it's really the same word in Scripture for both tests and temptation, tests and trials. It's it's something that is there to prove you. And so when God allows you to go through something difficult, it's not to destroy you. Tests are never to destroy you. If you ask any teacher in the room, why do we have to have tests? It's to prove what's in you. And so God allows us to go through these tests to prove that, to purify that, to refine that. But most of us don't like tests. And I want to just address that today. I want us to look at a story in the book of Judges. If you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, when I was here in December, I actually talked about the same guy. I don't know if you remember this, 
But we talked about Gideon back in December and how God turned Gideon's weakness into a strength. And we're going to look at Gideon again. And we're going to, we will start with, we're in chapter 6, we'll start with verse 25. But let me just preface this a little bit. What has happened is the judges, Gideon was the fifth judge that we have recorded here in the book of Judges. The book of Judges records these these people they call judges that would help rule Israel and deliver Israel during the time frame of the death of Joshua and then the raising up of the first king of Israel, which was Saul. And so it's that it's that historic time where they really did not have a ruler, but God would raise up judges. And during this time, Israel was really being rebellious and they really uh, were going against what God had told them and they were... They were uh, sinning and being rebellious and because of that God would then allow the enemy to come in and teach them a lesson but it was not to destroy them it was to get them to repent and turn around and follow him Gideon was this leader now the story of Gideon I'm going to just I'm just going to give it a nutshell because I, I don't want to spend all the time reading it but if you start in chapter six when you go home today you'll find that Gideon would hide, everyone in Israel would hide when the Amalekites would come and the Midianites would come, their enemy, because they would come up every year and they would destroy the land, they would steal their crops, they would kill their animals, they would steal them. And so what would happen is the Israelites would go into hiding because they were afraid of this. And so this guy named Gideon, he's threshing wheat in this wine press, like he's hiding and an angel shows up. An angel says, basically, hello, mighty warrior. And he's like, I think you got the wrong address. I'm not mighty in any way, shape, or form. And the angel said, no, and this is Brett's words, no, you have been called by God to deliver Israel. And Gideon's like, how is that possible? I, I, I come from the weakest clan. I, I'm the weakest in my family. I'm the youngest in my family. How could I possibly be used? And Gideon was so shocked by this. He says, basically, prove it. I'm going to bring you a sacrifice. I, I, I'm going to bring you something as an offering. Prove to me that you are really telling me the truth here. And so he brings this offering, and the angel takes his staff, and he touches it, and fire comes from the rock and consumes this meat and Gideon's like, ah, it is you, it is you, God. And then the, the angel kind of goes off and disappears. So Gideon takes this altar and he worships God. And he's so grateful to God. And then came his first test. And you know what I find interesting before we read that test? What I find interesting about that is how many times in our life did we just have the best day we ever had? Man, that was cool. That was great. God, you are so awesome. And then we wake up the next morning to one of the biggest tests we've ever had. And we're like, what's going on? That was very short-lived, God. How come that can't, how come those good feelings and all that can't last longer? <clears throat> but there's a testing that takes place to prepare you for what God has in store for you. And I'd like to read in verse 25. <clears throat> Actually, I don't think we have this on, on the slide up there, verse 24, but I'm going to read verse 24. And then I'll read verse 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 24 says, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. 
to this day it stands in Oprah of the Abazarites. Now verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Verse 27 says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. I like that part. I mean, you didn't say when, <laughs> right? And, and, and if you read the story of Gideon, you'll find out that he, act, he did deal with fear. But he was obedient. And he didn't let the fear drive his faith. He allowed his faith to drive his fear. And I just want to tell you today that if you're being tested in any way, shape, or form today, or when you leave here today, my first bit of advice to you is let faith rise up. Don't think you're less than just because you experience fear. Just let your faith be the wind in your sails and not the fear. Because we all experience fear. Some of us experience fear at levels bigger than others. But the fact is, fear is a part of life, and it's not a sin that you just had fear. It's how you're going to face that fear and what you're going to allow to drive you. Some people are driven by fear. All their decisions are driven by fear. That's not what God wants for you. God wants your fear to be pushed out by by your faith. It's interesting to me that the test is this. Part of it is go and take your father's stuff. You know, I mean, he doesn't say go into your, go to your father's herd and take, take that animal, take from your father's herd, uh, a bull that's seven years old. Now I think that's significant because back in chapter six, verse one, you find out that the Israelites had been in rebellion for seven years against God. And perhaps maybe there's a unique uh, significance there that this bull had to be seven years old. But the fact is, it wasn't, it, it wasn't Gideon's, it was his dad's. Then he's supposed to go and cut down his dad's false god worship. Everything. He's knocking down the poles, he's knocking down the altar, and he's told to do this. And I want you to know that if you have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, it's just, it's just possible that one of the first tests you ever have to walk through has to do with your family or those closest to you. I know of people, I have friends from India that they came to know Christ and they were excommunicated from their families. And then, and then I know that this friend of mine, then she led her father in India to, to Christ. He still lived in India and he has been highly persecuted by his family. But he went and got water baptized right out in public. And he has been persecuted. They have talked about everything from just excommunicating him to death. He has been looked down upon in his community. He, uh, there has been threat of losing work. 
But because he allowed his faith to drive him and not his fear, he is still standing strong. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying what you're going through is easy. I'm not saying the test that you are dealing with is easy. But I can tell you this, that if you'll be obedient to God in this, the next test you'll be even stronger for. See, it's obedience. That obedience to God does something in you that nothing else can. There are certain tests that we have because nothing else will uh, develop within you what God needs in you. And I, I want to say this. A lot of people look at the Christian life and they, they look at the Bible and God and they say, ah, it's just God always, you know, it's all about stuff that he wants from me. I got to give this up. I got to give that up. And I want to clear this up today. I want to clear up that thinking. Your Christian life is not about what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. We pay so much attention to sacrifice that we forget all the things he wants for us. He wants you to be free. He wants you to experience freedom. He wants you to know what freedom is like. He wants you to know what freedom from addiction is. He wants you to know what it is to live life and live it abundantly. Not just this mundane, mediocre life. He wants you to know true life. God wants you to know what a good relationship is. God wants you to know these things. Now, here's the catch. It is what God wants for you, not what he wants from you, but sometimes he'll ask for something from you in order to make room for what he has for you. So there are times he will say to you, this is what I need from you. I need you to give this part up to me because I need to make room for what I have for you. And he's sitting here and Gideon's got his first test. You gotta imagine how excited he was that he had seen an angel. He'd been called a mighty warrior. And now, even though he might be nervous and have some fear, he's been told he's gonna deliver Israel. Yes! First go tear down your dad's stuff. <laughs> really? That's my dad's. Like he's my dad. And that would be pretty nerve-wracking. Let me tell you why I think that was his first test. Sin, God wants to first deal with our sin, then deal with his glory in us. Israel had been sinning, and that sin needed to be torn down and gotten rid of, and the atonement needed to come. So there was sacrifice but he had to tear it. God never, the whole time Israel was going from Egypt to the promised land, God commanded Moses, when you come into an area, you tear down the false gods. You tear down those altars because there's no a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It is me and me only. I am a jealous God and I will not share you with anyone. So there's this, this thing about this, this image, these Asherah poles and these, these altars to Baal that they needed to be destroyed because God needed to bring redemption. And what I love about this is it seems very generational to me that Gideon was being raised up to break something that was started by his dad. And I want to bring this up to you today. I, I felt so strongly we had to just hear this little story of Gideon because I think there's some of you in this room today 
that you might be going through a test in your family, but it's because God is raising you up to shift something in your family. That there is something new that God is going to do through you. You are going to turn the tide. You are going to change the reputation in your family. You are going to be the one that God is going to say, you know, for these generations, it's been about alcohol. It's been about this. It's been about the world. It's been about money. But I'm going to raise you up to make it about Jesus Christ. I'm going to raise you up to make it about true life. And I need you. I need you to stand up and I need you to allow me to use you. And we have to remember that that's a privilege. We're in, we're in the middle of these tests. We have to remember it is a privilege to be invited by God to participate in what he's doing. God could do anything he wants to do, but he's chosen to use us in what he's doing. So Gideon does it. If you follow the story of Gideon, you can find that he does have victory. You can, the next morning people were angry and it's actually his dad that sticks up for him the next morning, which it's just a wild story. Like, dad, I destroyed everything you built. But his dad stood up for him and there was a shift that was taking place in that family. So I want to encourage you today. Allow God to use you in your family. Even if it means having to say something that you're very nervous to say. Or confronting an issue lovingly that you just would rather not confront. This might be the very first time or the very time in history that God wants to, to make that change in your family. We see people tested all through the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, you have the, the heroes of faith. They call it a lot of times people call it the hall of faith because it's these, it's these stories of these men and women who had great faith in God and they did amazing things through that faith. But there's something you need to know that they all have in common. They all went through a test of their faith. All of them. If you read Hebrews 11 and then you go back and you read the stories of these individuals, you'll find that every one of them, yes, they had great faith. Yes, they are known for amazing things, but every one of them had that faith tested along the way. And obedience was the key. Abraham was told to go to a place unknown to him, leave his family that was into idol worship and go to a place unknown to him. And he did. Abraham was told he was going to be the father of many nations and that God was going to bless the nations through him. And yet he was near 100 years old and didn't even have a kid. And all of a sudden his wife miraculously becomes pregnant. And then, and then they have this kid of promise and everything's great. Life is great. And God gives him a test. I want you to go now take your son put him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice your son to me. That didn't even make sense. Why would you, why? It doesn't, you, but this whole thing, God, you told me. Now we don't have record of Abraham saying that. This is probably what I would say. But you told, what are we doing here? Was this all a joke? You told me to come, you told me to do this. And now my son, you want me to give him up? But what we see in Abraham is we see obedience. And I, I cannot imagine what that would have been like. I cannot imagine 
how that must have felt. But he tied his son up and laid him on the wood, lifted his hand with a dagger, and that's when the Lord called out to him, no, stop. And you know what the Lord says? Now I know. Now I know you'll do anything I tell you. And let me tell you, that's one of the reasons why God does tests. Because he wants to know what's really in your heart. Tests reveal things. And I want to tell you this. What you're going through is not the point. I just want to, I, I just want to let that sink in for a minute. The test you are going through is not the point. The point is what that test is surfacing in you. So you might sit here and you might be all mad like, oh, I just got fired from my job. That's not fair, blah, 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 this test. And the point has nothing to do with your job because God's going to provide for you. He's our provider. He's not going to let you go. He's going to provide for you. The point is that anger, that resentment, perhaps that slander, that gossip, whatever is being brought up to the surface because of what you're going through, that's the point. And see, God loves you so much. He loves you the way you are. He just loves you so much. But he loves you so much, he's not willing to let you stay the way you are. And so he's going to use these tests to surface things in you so you can see what he sees. And so that he can scrape off the top and make room for what he has. And so walking into these tests... Man, I'm not saying they're fun. I'm not, I, I'm, but I will tell you this. Romans 8, 28 says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So your faith needs to engage and go, I don't like this. I don't like the feeling of it. I wish I didn't have to do this. But what I'm going to do is I'm not going to rest on my feelings and I'm not going to rest on my fear. But I'm going to grab hold of that faith and I'm going to believe that one thing I know is something is going to work out for my good in all of this. And that's where God gets the glory. I want to I just share three quick examples in my life of times I was tested. And they're, they're really in chronological order. The, I came to know Christ. Okay. I came to know Christ in 1989. I grew up in church, but never, it was all social to me. The only reason I wanted to go to church, hang out with my friends. And that was one day, a lot of times we'd go out to eat. So it was like, hang out with friends, go to the buffet. I mean, that was kind of, that was church. And then God grabbed a hold of my heart at age 18. And I felt so strongly called to volunteer all my time at church. And it's funny because my Christian parents who begged me to come to church for years were now like, well, now you need to really use your brain here. I mean, you got bills to pay and, you know, you can't just be volunteering all your time. I'm like, I don't get it. You want me to go to church? Then you don't want me to go. You know, it was one of those things. Well, I went out and I did what my mom said. You got to go look for work. So I went out in every place. No one would hire me. Like, McDonald's wouldn't hire me. That, am I that bad? You know, I mean, it's like, come on. Places that had wanted, you know, help, no one would hire me. 
I decided I am going to volunteer 40 hours a week at my church. And I did. And I went there and God provided miraculously for me. I mean, literally, I would find money blowing in the parking lots. Uh, I remember getting out of my truck and there would be a $20 bill. You know, you step on it. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. I remember people that I didn't even know mailing checks to me. I never even heard of these people. I don't even know how they knew I needed money. I, I, my truck, I drove a 63 Chevy at the time and I was on E and it lasted me three days on E. That is just, that doesn't happen. God provided. But the day I said yes to volunteering, my mom's childhood friend called me and offered me a job at the largest taxidermy shop in Washington State. I had, I'm a hunter, and I had huge interest in taxidermy work. And this guy was a really good taxidermist. He says, I'm going to pay you. You're going to come down here. I'm going to train you. I'll be side by side with you, and you're going to get paid for it. And I said, no. I need to volunteer at my church. All of my hunting buddies thought I had lost my mind. I had guys angry at me, like, what are you crazy? And everyone around me, what are you crazy? But I knew I needed to serve the Lord. I knew I needed to be in the house of the Lord. And you know what? It was just like a year and a half or two years later, that place shut down and it's never been opened again. And the experience that I got volunteering in ministry, it is why I'm here today. I have been in just about every role you can think of as a servant. So now when I am... When I was pastoring our church, I knew what it was like to to be a receptionist. I knew what it was like to clean toilets. I knew what it was like to vacuum. I knew what it was like to teach. I knew I had had all the roles, so I knew what it was like to be in their role. But that was a huge test for me. The day I declare I'm going to volunteer, this taxidermist company calls and says we'll hire you. But I had to go with what was in my spirit. Second test, and these are just three, I've had way more than three tests. These are three significant ones in my life. I was walking across the street in Seattle. And this is early on in my faith, but I'm walking across the street and there is a Snickers candy bar wrapper on the ground in the crosswalk. And I looked down and I'm walking and I did not hear a voice audibly, but in my spirit, I felt, pick that up and throw it away. And I said, it's not mine. And I kept going. Now, I got to the other side of the street. And I don't know if you've ever done that to God, but he doesn't let up. Like, it's not a, like, you're not going to win. And my spirit was so troubled. I sincerely know he was saying, get back, pick up that candy wrapper and throw it in the garbage. And people probably thought I was crazy because I'm on the other side of the street going, I'm like, I don't even like Snickers. That's not my wrapper. Why do I have to pick it up? Go pick up the wrapper and throw it away. I passed by it two other times. Like, I'm just walking by, and I'm looking at it. Finally, I just reached down, I picked it up, and I walked it over, and I threw it in this garbage can. And that voice came back to my spirit saying, if I can't trust you with the little, I'll never be able to trust you with much. And that was a pivotal time in my life. I mean, I want to tell you this. My life was changed by a Snickers wrapper. 
Don't, don't poo-poo the little things because it's some of those little things that God does the biggest things in you. And that was over 30 years ago. And I remember it was like yesterday. And every time God has given me bigger opportunities, guess what I think of? That Snickers wrapper. Because it was that Snickers wrapper that I realized, oh, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't think it's right, even if I don't think it's fair, if God tells me to do something, I need to do it because that's preparing me for the next thing. And so those tests, don't get angry. Don't sit there and go, it's not my candy wrapper. Just pick it up and be obedient. Remember Naaman, he had leprosy, and Elisha told him to go dip in the river seven times? What if he stopped at six? He was getting angry. Remember? Naaman said, I thought he would just wave his hand over me in abracadabra or whatever, and I thought I'd be healed. And his servant's like, yeah, so why are you complaining about something so simple? He dipped in that river, and he was completely healed. Your, you might be one dip away from everything you've been praying to God for. But if you think it's crazy and you shouldn't have to do that, you're going to miss out. So that candy wrapper prepared me. That little thing prepared me for big things. Here's my third test that I had, and then I'm going to wrap it up here. Third test I had was 10 years ago. I had been pastoring for over 25 years, been pastoring this church in the suburbs of Seattle. It was like one of the best years we'd ever had. It was just going great. Things were, it really was. Things were just going great. I was in a great point in my life. And the Lord one day just told me, your assignment here is over. I've got a new assignment for you. What does that mean? I'll tell you when you resign. I did, like, he was not going to tell me step three or step two until I took step one. And step one was resign. Yeah, but people are going to ask me. That's, so? I had all these excuses. Yeah, but I mean, I really, I need to give security for Kim. I need to, I need to know the kids are taken care of. I got that. I'll let you know as soon as you take the first step. The first step is to resign. So that was my first test. So I resigned. Now, I resigned. I gave a lot of notice. And in the moment I resigned, that's when the Lord put in my heart, okay, now I want you to travel and I want you to do stand-up comedy and I want you to do evangelism. Now, imagine me going to my wife and saying, You want to hear a good one? (laughs) What would you think if I went on the road and I did stand-up comedy and evangelism? Just so you know, I had only been doing stand-up for a a short time, and I didn't know if there would be anyone that would want to listen to me. But I said that to my, you know what her response to me? And I was nervous. My heart's pounding. You know what she said to me? Great. That's what God's telling you to do. And you know why? Because she brought it back to another time years earlier that I had been tested. And I came to her and we both walked through this time. And she got to a point where she trusted both God and me. And she said, if that's what God's telling you to do, then let's do it. And that's what we did. 
And that's what I've been doing. And it's been an amazing ride. And I don't know what God has in store for the future, but I can tell you this. It brought me back to that candy wrapper. If I can't trust you in the little, how will I ever trust you with much? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Do you remember, anyone in here remember the days when you'd be watching TV and all of a sudden, and there'd be these colors, and and then it would be the most annoying high-pitched beep, and then it would say, this is the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. To this day, I don't even know what that means. Well, how do you even know if it worked on my TV? Where, you know, I mean, I don't even know what it means. But I thought about that when I was preparing this message today is, I want you to know, I know these tests are real, and I know these tests are difficult. But I also want you to know, this is a test. And it's only a test. And you don't need to crumble under this. You don't need to give up. God's got you. But God is trying to work something in you that only obedience to these things will do. And he's got to know that you're going to trust him through this. He's got you. He's got this. But he's got to know that even if it's as dumb as picking up a candy wrapper that's not yours that if you will just obey him in that he'll know he can give you something bigger and some of you have been waiting for something big some of you have been believing God for something big in fact maybe you've had this vision in your heart that God's told you I I know one day I'm going to do this and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting like God how come it's not happening well look around here are there any snicker bar wrappers Maybe there's something he's been telling you all along the way that you've been ignoring him on because you don't see the connection. You don't see how that works. You don't. You think that's ridiculous. Let's get on to the big stuff, God. He can't move you on to the big stuff until he can trust you with the little stuff. Gideon's life-changing moment immediately had a test that night. Okay, now that you're, you're going to follow me in? Yeah, let's do this. You, you believe me now that I chose you? Yeah, I can't believe it, but let's, let's have victory. Okay, go into your dad's herd. Take the bull I tell you to. Cut down and burn everything and give it to me. And he did. And by the way, God told him to take that Asherah pole and use that for the wood to burn that sacrifice. You know what I love about that? God can even take our past mistakes and use it for fuel to get you ready for what he's gotten for you next. Allow God to have his way in you. Don't back down from these tests. I want to just read you one scripture and then I'm going to close in prayer. James 1 Verse 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Persevere. Let it finish its work. You're not done 
being cooked yet. God needs you. He needs you in that oven just a little longer. But remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into a fire furnace. They didn't even come out smelling like smoke because the Lord was in there with them. The Lord is in this with you, and he's for you. You're more than a conqueror. And for some of you, maybe the first test today is this. Will you, maybe God is saying to you, will you give me your life? Will you give me your sin and let me redeem you? Let me wash you clean. Let me help you start all over again and lift the burden of sin. Maybe that's your test today. And if that's your test, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. you, Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. That is the most important right there. You start right there. Everything else flows from that. So I'm going to invite our prayers. I believe we have prayers that are going to be available to pray with you here. I will make myself available to pray with you if you'd like prayer. But I'm going to say a prayer for you this morning. And then I believe there's a song and we'll have prayer and we'll see what God wants to do here, okay? Father, I believe with all of my heart there are people here right now that are being tested. And Lord, as I have always said when I speak, Whatever I speak on, I've I've either gone through it, I'm going through it, or I'm going to go through it. So, Lord, I know this word's for everyone here because there are tests coming. There are tests coming, but they don't have to be our enemy. The test can be that very thing that we look at and we go, it's what God wants for me, and he's just making room for it. I pray, God, right now, for anyone that is struggling in the test right now, that you would rise up within them and that they would have perseverance, that they would endure so that that character can be built and that they can be fully mature. And God, let them consider it pure joy, not because it's fun what they're going through, but because they know the results are going to be out of this world. So, Father, I pray your blessings on each and every one today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.